Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's June 22nd, and you're listening to the first ever episode of Under the Bleachers. We'll be taking turns, and this week, it's Laura's week to choose our topics. For a discussion of all things queer, she chose HBO's new show, We're Here. For our conversation on all things sports, we have the BBC's Andrew Cotter's Twitter content. And for the intersection between sports and queer, we have a Pride Month history lesson of big moments in LGBTQ history. After that, we're going to share my and Laura's interview with the DC Roller Girls Roller Derby. And here we go. Before we get started, we wanted to give you an update on Team DC. This week is Team DC Pride Week. Pride Week begins today, June 22nd, and continues until next Monday, June 29th. All week, we're going to be sharing some great video content to help everyone have a fantastic virtual Pride celebration. You'll be able to access all of our Pride Week content from our website, teamdc.org. Some of the highlights from Team DC's Pride Week will include videos from our scholarship award winners. Uh, There's some DC uh, different drummers videos. DC gamers will have two nights of competition. We have some videos from our partners with Old Glory Rugby, uh, the Washington Mystics, and also a special video from Sean Doodle from the Washington Nationals. And don't forget to check out our online auction. You can bid to win a lot of great things, including gift cards for dining and drinking at a whole bunch of different places, theater tickets, fitness experiences, sports memorabilia, sporting event tickets, and much more. Find the link to our auction on our website, teamdc.org, or access the auction directly at teamdc.rallyup.com backslash Pride Week 2020. And of course, Team DC's most exciting new project, this podcast. You can find episodes and information at underthebleachers.podbean.com. And you can also find us on Apple Podcast and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And share us with a friend if you like what you hear. And now here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip under the bleachers. Okay, so here we go. Um, My topic this week for the world of all things queer is HBO's new show, We're Here. HBO recently aired the first season of its new reality show, We're Here. We're Here follows three popular stars from RuPaul's Drag Race, Shangela Laquifa Wadley, Bob the Drag Queen, and Eureka O'Hara, as they head to small towns across America to interact with locals and put on drag shows. In each episode, Shangela, Eureka, and Bob the Drag Queen act as mentors or drag moms to local residents. These drag daughters come in all forms. You'll see queer folks, straight allies, some of them are even former self-admitted homophobes. Each of the drag daughters has their own reason for wanting to perform in drag and their own journey to be explored. In each episode, our heroes, Shangela, Eureka, and Bob, get to know their new daughters, get into their personal stories, and prepare them to perform in drag. Each episode ends with a drag show featuring the drag mamas and their drag daughters. 
So, Gabe, have you watched We're Here? Have you checked it out yet? I have. I've actually gotten to the first uh, four episodes, so I'm pretty excited with what I see so far. Yeah, I... You know, I have thoughts, uh, I, have, <laughs> I have feelings, um, but I, it, you know, it's pretty great, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like that it's very different. I was like, oh great, it's another stereotypical drag show of like drag queens going to a small town, but it's just, I love the stories that they bring out from each of the different people that are in the episode. Okay, so my favorite part is the very like first scene that you see each episode is their cars have you noticed <laughs> so bob bob's car is like a giant purse <laughs> yeah you know purse first bob the drag queen yeah walking the club first first yep that's right so it's they're so they're pretty great i think they did such a great job of capturing like each of these towns, I don't really know any of the towns that they went to. They um, do episodes from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Branson, Missouri, um, Twin Falls, Idaho, Farmington, New Mexico. You're right. And there's six episodes altogether, so you're almost at the end. Um, unfortunately, their last episode, that what was supposed to be the season finale, actually got cut short. They weren't able to finish filming it because of COVID. So their the last episode is actually um, turns into like an interview episode where they interview each of them at their own homes. It's pretty cool though. Um, did what like did you have any favorites so far? Um, I really like when they talk to some of the character or some of the uh, uh, people that they bring in that are kind of like the very st stereotypical like heteronormative like manly manly guys that are in these small towns. And they're just like happy to be like, okay, sure, we'll try it. Um, I really liked, I think it was the first episode where they had that teacher who, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm a straight male and, you know, I look at my students and, you know, it's tough for me being African-American in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I can't imagine even being, you know, gay or queer in this small right. town. Yeah. And, and that I, was, you know, in Gettysburg also, they had the guy on the street video where they sat next to the guy in the bench and they were asking him like, Hey, do you know, do you have a lot of queer people here? And he's like, Oh, I'd say it's like 50, 50, 50%. <laughs> I was like, dude, my dude. <laughs> like, okay. No. I mean, that same guy in the next sentence referred to colored people. So, you know, I yes. questioned a lot about what that guy had to say, but and they're like, you can't say that. Like... <laughs> yeah. I think that was Eureka who was talking to him too. So of course the one white man was like, oh. <laughs> like um no <laughs> yeah so i don't know if you've gotten i can't remember the episode numbers but have you seen the episode with the lesbian woman who dresses in drag as a drag king and she has lost an arm and a leg to a motorcycle accident uh no i haven't gotten there yet okay so i think that might be episode five um it's a pretty good one. It's really interesting because they're somewhere in Louisiana. And I remember that because they ask her about New Orleans and she's like, oh, we might be only a couple hours away, but we are worlds away, you know, from New Orleans here. And, but yeah, she, um, so she was in a motorcycle accident. She was like hit head on when she was riding her motorcycle. She lost an arm and a leg and has, you know, two prosthetic limbs. She met her wife while she was rehabbing from that injury. And so now they have her doing drag and it's, it's really interesting because she has very limited mobility as a result of her accident. And so, you know, just the whole process of 
you know, trying to do a dance routine basically with like very limited mobility. It's really, it was, you know, it was interesting. And she, um, she talked about how she had these favorite, this favorite pair of cowboy boots and she was wearing the cowboy boots when she had her accident and Eureka was her drag mom and Eureka had the, those cowboy boots like custom refit um, to put a zipper so that they would fit over her prosthetic legs so that she could wear them oh, for wow. the drag show. So then that was like, that was pretty cool. I really liked that episode a lot. So I recommend that one. I mean, it's cool. I like how they put in the aspect of like, anyone can do drag and yeah. you know. So I will say though, I've noticed that the, when they get to the part of each episode where they do the drag show, they don't show a whole lot of the performances. <laughs> Cause I suspect that like they, they obviously, it, it appears that they're in each town for about maybe like four or five days at the most. So they clearly don't have a ton of um, like time to rehearse. And I, you know, a lot of these people are, whoa, like, and this is not judgment because I have no rhythm either, but man, <laughs> some of these people who, who are doing this show, like are really, really lacking in danceability. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I remember my first time, like I, uh, you know, the first time that I did drag was, and I, I thought I would never do drag. Like I was like, well, I'm never going to do this. Like, yeah, that's not for me. And then I had to do it for a uh, flag football competition. Um, and it was just like, all right, we're going to do this. And everyone in my team backed out that season. And <laughs> I just literally went to my friend after work and I was like, hey, I need to be in drag and I need to be at town. Rest in peace, town. Uh, I need to be there, you know, like in an hour or two. Can you do something? And he was just like, yeah, hold on. Boom. Like, <laughs> and it just threw me out there. And I was just like, all right, okay. And you love it now, out. right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't like really dressing up and things like that. I don't think it would be for me, but it's really cool. Like, you can really tell with a lot of these people, like, just the sense of confidence it gives them. There's oh, yeah. one, there's one episode where um, there's a couple, and it's a trans man and his wife, and they do sort of like a wedding theme for them as mm -hmm. part of the drag show. And that was really cool. Like you could just see on their faces how much it meant to them to be like all dressed up and in this atmosphere where everybody was cheering for them and celebrating them. It, you could just see it on their face, like just how much it meant to them. And I, you know, the show is actually just like, I know this is like totally cliche, but it's like heartwarming. Oh, it is. Yeah yeah and I, I like that they were showing different types of drag also like you have you know your fishing queens but then you have your pageant queens you have your rocker queens your punk queens goth you know your drag kings you have so many different outlets that you can do and they're just not just sticking to like one style per yeah, se yeah. they're kind of like talking you know they're actually talking to people and saying like okay what kind of drag persona do you want yeah, what works really for you, yeah. I mean, they did a really cool thing with the one guy, um, I'm not sure which episode is which, so maybe you have or have not seen this, but one of them is a man who's a firefighter, and they make him this, like, crazy, oh, yeah. and he has a full beard, and he doesn't yeah. lose his full beard, so, like, he comes out in this crazy outfit with that, like, futuristic mask, and then when he takes it off, you see that he's doing drag with a full beard, and the beard is all glitter, which, by the way... <laughs> 
what are the chances he didn't have to shave that fucking beard off anyway when they put that much glitter in it? Exactly. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, oh, girl, you are going to be sorry about that. <laughs> there were, like, like sequins, like, in his beard, and I'm like, you're never getting those out. No way. It's- Years from now, you're going to have glitter, like, everywhere. Um, I will say, I think, you know, one thing to comment on We're Here is that um, there is uh, one story where they follow the uh, the woman who is estranged from her daughter. Um, oh, yeah. Because she essentially, you know, ostracized her daughter after her daughter came out, and she in the in the in the um episode she's very honest like i found her to be quite honest speaking about how you know she real how much she realized she hurt her daughter and I, you know it's interesting because apparently she found her daughter's diary and read it which i'm like uh not uh. not cool like bad move like total invasion of privacy but putting that aside she seemed to genuinely have her eyes opened to how much harm she was doing to her daughter just by being um, not understanding and not listening to her daughter. So, you know, that was like, I thought a really um, interesting story and a good like window into um, the reality of some people who really genuinely come around. Um, But juxtapose that against, there's- The next episode. Where, well, and I'm not sure, so the episode I'm thinking of is there's a Mexican, American. Oh, never mind. Yeah, no, I, I was gonna say, and then we can say Branson, but the there there's an there's an episode a few episodes later with this with um, one of the participants in the drag is a gay gay male who his mother had kicked him out of her house when he um, after coming out. And in the episode, they go to her house and visit her, and she can't be more supportive or nicer. And I really, truly was not um, impressed with her. Like, I honestly felt that she was just being, she was performing. Um, And I, it sort of struck a bad chord with me and sort of concerned me. But then um, in the episode, Shangela, who was the mentor for this boy, they leave and Angela says to him, look, sometimes people put on their best face for when strangers are in the room, but you know, we know that what you felt was real, what you experienced was real. And sometimes it's baby steps, give her more time. At least she's, you know, making this baby step. And so I actually truly appreciated a, that they showed somebody who really, I don't think has come around far enough, but also B, they showed Shangela acknowledging that that was an issue and affirming to this guy that like, Hey, your mom has not been supportive and that doesn't get erased by her um, being nice to you in front of a camera. It's still a valid thing. Just keep working on it. And so I, I I thought it was actually pretty great. No, it's really cool because it's like one of those things where it's, you know, this might happen, but it might not happen. So it's, you know, we just can't sugarcoat it and make, you know, be like, okay, yay, everything's great and everything's, you know, coming up roses and it's so exciting. And it's like, no, sometimes we have to deal through, you have to go through some, uh, some pretty crappy stuff, but. Yeah. What were you going to say about the Branson episode? The, the Branson episode where you had the, the mother who was like super supportive and super happy and her son, who was like born again, oh, and was like yes. that one. And his mom's like, <laughs> yeah, like cause the mom's like super like awesome ally. Like, oh my god, I love my son. I love that he's gay. 
his but she had two sons that were gay i think yeah i think so or a son and a daughter a son and a daughter or something and then like and then going to his story of like how he has to struggle with religion and how you know he said i'm not gay and yeah he prayed the gay away yes (laughs) which i'm like dude and then came back and it's like wow like yeah and then he found out you know yeah for him you know he could be christian and gay at the same time but it's like wow well you know but he also said something that kind of broke my heart which is that he had resolved himself to not have love and he didn't he didn't need to have love and to me what that means is he hasn't actually found a place where he's comfortable being christian and gay he is choosing christian over gay and choosing to deny himself one of like the very important parts of humanity which is our relationships with other people um and his mom you can tell that that breaks her heart and so i thought that was a really great um story to tell and i i'd love to get like um like a where are they now and and oh yeah you know see like what his reaction is to watching that episode and seeing himself that way and wonder if he would pause and say you know wait a minute why am i denying myself this i don't you know i don't need to be doing this it is actually possible to be christian and gay um and still celebrate being gay you know (laughs) which i don't you know so yeah, that one, that one was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway, I two thumbs up from me and high re- highly recommend. It's only six episodes, so you can kind of sit and watch the whole thing in two days if you want. I mean, frankly, I think I watched it all in one day. <laughs> um, well, there's so much going on right now that it's, you know, you can never find time to find something good on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I saw that it was already renewed, so there is going to be a season two of We're Here. Yay! Oh, wow, yay! Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm excited about that. We'll keep our eye out for it. And uh, yeah, that's We're Here. Okay, so now on to our sports topic for the week. Frankly, there's just not a lot going on in sports that's interesting to me these days, so... For my sports topic, I decided I'd introduce everybody to Andrew Cotter. Andrew Cotter is a Scottish sports broadcaster. He works primarily for the BBC, and he covers mostly golf, tennis, and rugby. Like me, and I'm sure so many of you, Andrew has been clearly missing out on sports with the worldwide shutdown of almost all sporting events because of the pandemic. But Andrew has found a way to entertain himself and keep honing his broadcasting skills at the same time. I've truly enjoyed it. Andrew, he makes me laugh. Um, So I thought it would be a nice thing to share with everybody this week. The first time I came across Andrew's work uh, during the pandemic was a video that he posted to his Twitter feed on March 27th. The video features his two dogs, Mabel and Olive, enjoying their breakfast. So let's uh, roll the audio tape. Well, how fitting that it should come down to these two. Olive in her familiar black, five times the champion. Mabel, the rising star, winner last year. You can see how excited they are, but also feel the tension. Get on with it. And here it's in the crowd as we near the start of this final. And now they go, Olive away first, but a problem with Mabel's ball. That might cost her now, having to play catch up. Both settling quickly into rhythm. You can see the contrast in styles. Mabel, heavy tail use, happy to be alive. Everything's amazing. Olive, more steady, wasting little energy. Very much of the old Labrador school eating's a serious business. Don't bollocks around wagging your tail. 
Mabel seems just a, a little sluggish here. Perhaps more was taken out of her by the worm medicine she was given last night than we thought. But Olive focused, relentless, tasting absolutely nothing. Mabel trying, but surely a lost cause. Her title defence coming to an end. Olive taking everything. Nothing left but the bowl to lick now. And Mabel well, doesn't seem too upset. A bit of class there from the youngster. Generous in what will surely be defeat because... Olive has won now. She's taken the title back at seven and a half. Mabel looking to offer congratulations again to the dog who was her inspiration growing up. Once more, wonderful to see that spirit in the game. What a final we've had here. Great rivals, but great friends. Oh, and you see the swapping of bowls at the end. Uh, join us again tomorrow. Live coverage of a snooze on the sofa, possibly. Bye for now. So you might have recognized Andrew's voice if you're a fan of Wimbledon. I I think that's where I recognize his voice from, or maybe he just has one of those sportscaster voices. But he does um, cover Wimbledon a lot. I think he also covers a bunch of golf tournaments that are pretty popular, like the Masters, so maybe you have heard him there as well. Um, okay, so after the commentary of Olive and Mabel's breakfast went viral, Andrew followed that up with a bunch of other Mabel and Olive videos. My personal favorite is a video where his very chill dogs are playing with a chew toy and his not so chill play-by-play -play, uh, is overlay over the video. It's pretty great. I recommend everybody checks it out. In May, Andrew Cotter used his skills to help out a nonprofit organization called Dogs for Good. Dogs for Good, like all nonprofits, took a fundraising hit with the lack of event opportunities during the COVID-19 pandemic. So. They launched a virtual campaign that encouraged people to submit videos of their dogs engaged in everyday tasks. The prize awarded to the winning video was the addition of a play-by-play -by, -play by Andrew. The video that was selected is of a dog named Nala who is stalking and chasing a bird in her backyard. So I'll play Andrew's play-by-play -play here so you can hear it. Next into the arena, one of the greats, Nala. 16 dogs at the moment, all tied for the lead on No Birds Caught. Nala, 17th to go. Perfect conditions for Dog and Bird, those old rivals, to come together again. And Nala already looking strong in this first phase. The waiting, it can go wrong here. We saw the favourite, Stuart the French Bulldog, stepping on a squeaky ball. His chance was gone. Nala, by contrast, playing it a bit safe, just sitting. And there's usually just a nod of the head before she gets moving, a routine that has become so familiar and has brought her so much success. There it is. And one more, and now she'll go into the crucial stalking phase. Months and years of training, centuries of evolution, all leading to this, the stealth of a sofa moving across the lawn. When will she pick up the pace and show that acceleration that we know she has? Leaving it late here, just into the sunlight, is that a mistake? And there she goes, great turn of speed, but not enough, not enough to catch that bird which flew off about 20 seconds ago. One day they might get it, but not this day. And so into the most important phase, pretending you just weren't that bothered anyway. You've kept the household safe from harm, and it's the taking part that counts. So Nala will just pick herself up to try again tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after. Such is the way of dogs. All right, so there are plenty more of these online. Just Google Andrew Cotter and you'll find them. You can also check out his Twitter feed. His handle is at Mr. Andrew Cotter. 
Uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, these are a lot better when you can actually see the video. So I apologize, this isn't the ideal medium for sharing these with you guys, but you're welcome nonetheless for being introduced to Andrew Cotter. You heard it here on Under the Bleachers. All right, so Gabe, this guy has really been cracking me up. Have you uh, checked out his Twitter feed yet? Yes, I love these videos. Like, they're just awesome. Like, even yeah. SNL made fun of it. Oh, really? Um, I haven't seen that. Yeah, they did a whole skit where, like, one of the virtual shows where they had, you know, someone in uh, an accent to, you know, narrating, popcorn popping, and all this other random stuff. Uh, yeah. No, these are great. Like, yeah, you know, we're missing sports right now. There's some leagues that are opening up around the world, but it's still, like, you know, these are just, like, fun videos just to get you, uh, you know, something positive in the world. All right, last but not least, it is time for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer. Um, it's Pride Month, and I've always thought that Pride Month is a great time to reflect and learn or remember our history as an LGBTQ plus community. So for our topic this week at the intersection of sports and queer, I thought we should take a couple of minutes and revisit a couple of key moments in history for the LGBTQ plus community in sports. I'm just gonna tell you all about a few of them. These aren't necessarily the top moments, the key moments, anything like that. I just picked a couple of moments that I think are significant and I think we should all know about and remember for better or worse. So first, let's take a trip on the way back machine and talk about Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King, who at the time was a budding tennis star, married Larry King in 1965. By 1971, Billie Jean King was an international tennis star, and she began a secret love affair with her secretary, Marilyn Barnett. The two were a couple for years, but their relationship had ended by 1981. In 1981, her former partner, Miss Barnett, filed a lawsuit against Billie Jean King seeking palimony. For anyone who doesn't know, palimony is um, just another fancy word for spousal support. Um, typically, it is a part of a divorce case. Now, Miss Barnett, of course, knew that lesbian relationships were not legally recognized and that she had no chance of winning her lawsuit, but she filed the lawsuit anyway so that Billie Jean King would be outed in public legal filings. After the case went public, not wanting to lie about her identity, Billie Jean King admitted the relationship against the advice of her agent and publicist. She became the first prominent professional female tennis player to come out. Of course, we realize that being forced out of the closet is not the same as choosing to come out. And what Miss Barnett did was a horrible breach of trust and frankly, unforgivable. Being outed caused Billie Jean King to lose an estimated $2 million in endorsements and forced her to prolong her tennis career to pay attorneys. Being outed was almost enough to destroy Billie Jean King's career. And given that she is one of the greatest tennis players of all time, that speaks volume about just how hard it was to be a prominent gay person in sports in 1981. All right, so yeah, Billie Jean King, I was a little young for this one. I um, was alive in 1981. I don't think you even were alive, but um, I, was, no. <laughs> yeah, I was like kindergarten age, not even. So I, I don't remember this happening, but I remember when I learned about this and just how horrified I was. Like, I just, I cannot imagine um, the level of nastiness it would take for me to do this to someone, what her partner did to her. I mean, I just yeah. can't imagine how hurt or angry that woman must have been to compel her to behave this way. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, but it's 
kind of tough, like, you know, putting yourself back in that time of like, hey, uh, this is going on. And it's not even that far. You know, the 80s is what, almost 40 years ago, 30 years ago? Not that far. No, I, it, it, absolutely. Like, it, it's not that long ago. But I just, I don't know, like, let's just be clear to anybody who has any question about this. You're not allowed to out anybody, right? Like, yeah. I don't care who they are, what they did to you or to anybody else. We're not, you don't out people. Like that's not, everybody's story is their own story. Everyone's life is their own life. And it's their choice, what they share with who and when. And, you know, there's no, just no excuse for this shit. Yeah, it's just like really tough because you don't know what that person is going through. Um, and then, you know, the repercussions of it, like we may think, okay, great. You just outed them. haha. But it's like, no, there's some serious stuff that could happen. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think in the time that has passed since 1981, things have changed a little bit. Like, I don't think that if this happened today, that Billie Jean King would have suffered as much as she did. Um, but even still, like, even if she doesn't, you know, even if there was no outside impact the fact that she was outed, it takes something very personal away from her. And, you know, she, you, it's, the, it's the intrinsic harm that you do to the other person. Forget what the external factors are. That really is just disgusting to me. I will say, I want to give um, Marilyn Barnett the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to assume that she didn't do this just to be an evil wench. Like, I'm going to assume that the relationship ended poorly and that she was in a lot of pain and she was very angry and hurt and upset. And this was like, this was the product of that and not just like evil motives, but it doesn't matter. Like, there's just absolutely no excuse for this kind of behavior. All right. Well, Billie Jean King is a superstar and we love her and we send her love and it sucks that this happened, but I'm glad that she's now an out and proud and um, doing so much great in the world, so. All right, now let's jump ahead to the year 2000. Things were different by Y2K, right? Am I right? In August of 2000, two lesbians were ejected from Dodger Stadium. The couple celebrated Dodger home runs during the game by kissing. How dare they? At some point, nine security guards approached the women and asked them to leave. You heard me right, I said nine security guards. <laughs> The women were told by the security guards that a woman sitting nearby had complained, quote, I don't want my kids around those kind of people. The couple threatened to file a lawsuit against the Dodgers, but the team worked out a settlement with them that included a public apology and giving out 5,000 tickets to gay and lesbian groups. One thing that the women requested as part of the settlement was that the Dodgers celebrate a gay night at Dodger Stadium, but the team refused to do that. It was 2013 before the Dodgers finally held their first Pride Night at Dodger Stadium. All right, so this story is wild to me in so many ways, um, not the least of which is the fact that anyone believed it required nine security guards to escort some to escort out people of out. a stadium because they kissed. Like, come on now. Um, but yeah. I do remember this when this happened, unlike the Billie Jean King episode we talked about before, but I do remember when this happened, and I remember thinking, like, seriously? Who pays that much attention to what other people are doing in the stands when a home run just got hit? Like, yeah. why wasn't this woman watching the baseball game? Move along, <laughs> right? Like, ugh. 
it's crazy. And again, this is what 2000 that this happened. Like it's that's kind of nuts. Yeah, I know. People want you to believe that like, oh, nobody really cares what you do. Like you don't need to celebrate pride. Just keep it to yourself and you'll be fine. No. <laughs> no, no. Stuff still happens like now. Yeah. Although, like you, well, you can't live your life out and normally in the open without facing scrutiny from some asshole somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But like on the flip side, I mean, people are now proposing, like we have like gay proposals at sports events. So it's kind of awesome, but yeah. Yeah, last year at the Pride Night Out at the Nats, there was a proposal. Were you there? I was there, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was cool. And uh, it got, you know, they were on the field for it. So it was extra cool. Um, yeah, but whatever. The Dodgers, it's like, what a, they had a pretty lame reaction to all of this. You know, they gave out 5,000 free tickets. I'm like, woohoo. They were probably like nosebleed bleacher seats or something. But, you know, it also goes to show like how easy um, people get sort of let off the hook for things like this a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, like people were outraged when the story first broke, but then it was like a day, you know, a week later, it's like out of the headlines. Nobody really is thinking about it anymore. And the Dodgers just like give away 5,000 tickets and sweep it under the rug and move along. Yeah. I don't know. I do think though, um, like you said, you know, professional sports as a general matter have gotten better um about being sort of safer spaces for people and that's obviously good i mean you and i are both like part of team dc so clearly like sports is something that is like important to us but um it's important to a lot of people and you know sports is an area where i think you know traditionally a lot of queer people especially men i will say like as a woman you know a lot of athlete like a lot of talented women athletes, people just assume they're gay. It's like a reverse yeah. problem, <laughs> right? But especially for men, I think, you know, for a long time, sports was not a safe space. Um, didn't feel like a safe space either to be a fan or a player. Um, so I'm glad that we're, we're making some progress. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and now for the last one, we jump ahead to 2013. In 2013, Jason Collins came out as gay. Collins became the first male openly gay athlete playing a major American team sport. By this, we mean, of course, the big four in America, baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. And what we really mean is the NBA, excluding the WNBA, because Cheryl Swoops came out way back in 2005 in the WNBA. In any event, Jason came out in a Sports Illustrated column during the offseason, at the time, he was a free agent and not affiliated with any team. He had been in the NBA for 12 seasons, played with six different teams, averaging 3.6 points and 3.8 rebounds a game. We're not talking about a league superstar. We're not talking about Michael Jordan. But still, this was an active player in the NBA coming out as gay. So it was a watershed moment for LGBTQ plus people in sports. In his Sports Illustrated column, Collins wrote, I didn't set out to be the first openly gay athlete playing in a major American team sport, but since I am, I'm happy to start the conversation. I wish I wasn't the kid in the classroom raising his hand and saying I'm different. If I had my way, someone else would have already done this. Nobody has, which is why I'm raising my hand. All right, so Gabe, I assume you remember 2013 when Jason Collins came out. I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah did you, like, 
do you remember at the time, like, did it feel like a big deal to you? Like, it did, especially because it's coming, uh, you know, out, you know, coming out in such a public way. Um, we always hear like people saying that they, they came out after their career was over. And this is like, no, no, I'm actually playing right now. Um, yeah. And I'm out and proud. Yeah, that was the big thing, right? But, you know, what I kind of remember is that, you know, it was a little weird, like his career pretty quickly fizzled after this because that year he was a free agent. So like when he came out, he wasn't technically on a team. And yeah. I, I know that he did play a little bit more in the NBA after this. It wasn't like completely done, but not a ton. Now, you know, and by the way, I don't want to suggest that I think it's because he was blackballed from the NBA for being gay. He's um, that that's not I'm not accusing them of that. I frankly, he was like a person who during his career, he moved around a lot. He was never a superstar. He was always sort of like a utility person who got moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. So you know, his career was probably naturally um, trending that way anyway, but it's still sort of, I remember thinking like, oh, this seemed like it was going to be such a big deal when he came out, but then he kind of just disappeared and we didn't really get a lot of opportunities to see him actively playing on the basketball court as an out um, openly gay athlete. Um, all right. Well, those were the, th like, just three that I picked. Are there any, like, sort of big sports issues or things that have happened in sports history that you wanted to talk about? Okay, so, yeah. So, in the UK um, and in the rugby world, there is a Welsh player, Gareth Thomas, who was an uh, out-proud player, uh, retired, and then he went through um, probably a horrible hate crime in his hometown. Um, just what two years ago, and to show him support, the um, yeah. So in the UK, there's this group called Stonewall, which they do this uh, uh, this charity work called Rainbow Laces. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, yeah. um, but they're trying to get you know all the players to like you know put on rainbow laces and play. And a lot of the national rugby teams in the UK and all over the world uh, decided, hey, we're going to support you know one of our fellow ruggers and put on rainbow laces and play our, our matches. Um, which I thought was really cool that, um, and it started spreading on from there to like to other sports, like the Premier League started doing it. And that's, you know, and it's almost as equivalent to is like if everyone in the NFL decided to put on, you know, have their teams put on rainbow laces or have the option to do it, um, which is really cool. And it's kind of a, another way to get people one talking about these issues because they do happen sadly and it, it sucks, but it, it happens, um, but also a way to get people to show that, you know, hey, there are a lot of LGBTQ people who are interested in sports, um, who play sports, whether it be locally, nationally, and, you know, we're here, and we like to play sports, you know, and we're <laughs> queer, so, sorry. So, hey, uh, hi, hi. Hey, yeah, no, so, yeah, I, hey, yeah, bring the I, ball, yeah. Yeah, I am familiar with the Rainbow Laces campaign, and actually, we, um, this year, we were supposed to have Pride Night out at Old Glory, the local rugby team, and we were in the midst of sort of discussing with them whether we could get rainbow laces for them for Pride Night out. And then, of course, COVID shut down Pride Night out um, and the Major League Rugby season as a whole. Oh, Miss Rona. <laughs> yeah, Rona, man, just ruining my life. But uh, yeah, no, that is, I agree, that's a pretty cool thing that's been going on. And it, it did start, you know, spreading pretty fast. I
Yeah, I think that's like the good thing is to be open and you know to be visible. Yeah, that's a cool thing. Like, uh, just thinking, even um, when we had our Pride Night out with the uh, um, with the Wizards, and you know we had a we had our local performer, you know Riley Knox. She's the first openly transgender woman to perform at an NBA game. Yeah, which is kind of awesome, but it's, it's like, so what? Awesome. yeah, yeah. People, and, you know, it made national news, and everyone's like, and it's like, yeah, that's local, and it's like, it's 2020, but it's like, no, yeah, that's you know, it's groundbreaking and awesome. That's right. Um, well, speaking of groundbreaking and awesome, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention a big event that happened last week that impacts uh, LGBTQ people. Um, the Supreme Court ruled last week in a six to three decision that um, Title VII, the uh, federal statute that prohibits discrimination based on sex, applies um, to uh, sexual orientation and gender. So for the first time, there is a federal law that says you can't be fired for being gay or for being trans. And I think, you know, it's about goddamn time. <laughs> but you know i've we many of us have said for years that title seven protected us but um many lawmakers disagreed and many courts disagreed so it obviously was enormously important for the supreme court to uh say that and um the fact that it was a 6-3 opinion particularly with how conservative leaning the court is right now was i think a very important um, very important thing to, to, to note and to be aware of. And, you know, we should all be pretty happy for this progress. Um, I think we all should also be realistic about the fact that a Congress could rewrite title seven tomorrow to specifically exclude sexual orientation and gender from the reach of title seven. So, um, it's still just a law that lawmakers can change the Supreme court you know, doesn't have the power to tell them not to change the law. They only can interpret it. Um, and the reality is that, you know, we should have a federal non-discrimination law that specifically speaks to um, these categories so that bad faith arguments like what we've been subjected to for the, you know, in recent years can be for once and for all put to bed. Yeah. No, and this is a really big deal. Like, um, I can remember, you know, growing up and then going to school in Texas, I had a lot of friends who were afraid uh, because Texas is an at-will state, you know, at, you know, work at will. And, you know, I had a lot of friends, especially some of my trans friends who said, I don't think I can get a job because, you know, like, I'll go in for an interview or whatever, and they just won't hire me. Or, you know, I'll get the job, I'll be working. And then they'll be like, oh, you're not a good fit. And it's like, why? Yeah, you know, and let's not, that's another thing is like, we can't pretend that people don't still discriminate, even though it's against the law. Um, yeah. The reality is that people come up with pretext reasons to not hire somebody or to fire somebody all the time, when in reality, they are discriminating. And unfortunately, the law is not um, necessarily equipped to solve all societal problems. It, you know, making it illegal does not cure the underlying problem that's a whole separate issue that we need to work on and to address as a society but at least being knowing that the law is there to protect you um is better than than the alternative oh yeah definitely all right well that was a uh, you know 
an interesting chat as always. Like, <laughs> like chat with you, Gabe. This is fun. Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share with you our interview with the DC Roller Girls. All right, uh, today we have Ella Fitzgerald and Slay Bell from the DC Roller Girls Roller Derby. Um, hi, y'all want to say hi? Hey there, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here today. Hi, we're, as Ella said, we're super excited to be talking to y'all today. Great. Okay, let's just um, clarify those names and make sure everybody understood what we said, because uh, I think this is an, an important detail. So we have Slay Bells, and that's S-L-A-Y. Do you want to tell us what that's all about? Sure thing. So, uh, yes, my derby name is Slay Bell, um, and a derby name is a nickname that uh, derby skaters choose and sort of um, go by on the track. Um, so, uh, folks usually select their derby name uh, when they're starting uh, skating, uh, sometimes when they're just starting in a, in a derby program, uh, either in a rookie program or um, uh, we call it ours, our boot camp program. Um, other folks sort of wait until they've passed their minimum skills requirements, um, which is a uh, WIFTA, the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, uh, rule uh, for when you're allowed to start skating in games. Um, and so some folks will often wait until then to select their derby name, but it's essentially your nickname for your team and on the track. All right. Well, I, I like your name. Uh, I like the idea of Slay and Bells. Um, and Ella, your name is, I'm sorry, was it Fist? Gerald, F-I-S-T. It is F-I-S-T Gerald. And the best part about it is that my dad is the one who came up with my derby name. So uh, roller derby <laughs> was something that I saw as a college student here in DC. Um, and I remember talking to my parents about it that I thought it was such a cool sport and I really wanted to give it a try upon graduation. So it's kind of a running joke in the family for a while until it actually happened. And as Slay was saying, um, throughout my kind of derby journey, once I passed my minimum skills um, and was in the league, that's when I chose a derby name. And I knew that I wanted to do something that was related to music because that's been a huge part of my upbringing in my life. Um, so my dad was the one at the dinner table one day who suggested the name and hands down had to go with it. Awesome. I already like your dad. <laughs> Shout out to dad. He's a pretty cool guy. Tell us a little bit more about the sport of roller derby and what exactly it consists of. Sure. Uh, so roller derby is a sport that is played on eight wheels and we specifically play flat track roller derby. So we're part of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, which is our larger governing body that we're a part of, kind of like a um, WNBA or an NFL uh you know, affiliation that we're a part of just for roller derby. So a lot of people, when they think about roller derby, they might have flashbacks to uh, history where roller derby previously was played on a banked or a raised track. So we play on a flat surface. Uh, the best analogy I've heard of for roller derby is playing chess while having bricks thrown at you because the sport is so strategic. It's such a mental game, but at the same time, so physical and physically challenging. Um, Slay, do you want to talk about kind of the rules and what a normal jam's like? 
Sure. So uh, each, there are two teams uh, on the track at once. And so each team fields five players, uh, four players uh, who are the called the blockers uh, and one player called the jammer. Uh, the jammer is the person who is scoring the points. And so uh, in these jams, so a jam is two minutes of play uh, in which the jammer is trying to get through the pack of uh, other players of the blockers uh, and around the track uh, and past as many people on the opposing team as she can, uh, as quickly as she can in as many laps as she can in order to score points. And so she scores, or I should say they um, score uh, one point per every opposing blocker that they pass. Um, but you can score up to four points in one lap um, and lots of points in a jam, um, depending on how long that jam goes. So if you're one of, uh, I guess like me, um, or someone who's just brand new to the sport and watching it, I mean, I did check out a lot of your YouTube videos, which I hope our listeners check out because DC Roller Girls has some really cool videos on YouTube. Um, if you're brand new to the sport, but you really want to get into it, how can you, uh, how, first off, how do you join the team and how can you start learning some of the rules? So we will host quarterly open houses to talk a, a little bit about like all of the aspects of joining the league. Uh, in order to join the DC Roller Girls, uh, you can, you know, come, come out to one of our open houses. Um, our April open house was uh, virtual. So we did a Zoom call and, you know, talked to prospective skaters um, about all of the different aspects of joining the league. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see where July brings us. Um, hopefully we'll be able to do it in a socially distanced manner, but in person. Um, but we'll see what DC and Maryland's social distancing and reopening phases look like. Um, but uh, to join the league, uh, you can come to a practice. Uh, I'm sorry, you can come to two practices um, to try out the sport. Uh, and during those practices, we teach you really everything you need to know about skating. We have had folks who come and have never, never skated before in their lives. Um, and they have, we've taught them everything that they need to know in order to not just um, skate, but also how to play roller derby. You talk a little bit about the roller derby culture. It seems like from uh, you know, doing a little research and seeing some of these videos, it seems like a really tight-knit community um, in D.C. as well as all over the country. Absolutely. Um, you know, the roller derby culture, both within the DMV as well as, you know, internationally, is a huge growing community. Um, DC Roller Girls have been a organization uh, for 14 years now, approaching 15 years. And even within that time, seeing both uh, the DC Roller Girls as well as roller derby as a sport uh, grow and evolve has been uh, exciting, exhilarating and really empowering. Uh, the community has really grown both in numbers and in strength and um, is consistently, you know, changing perspectives. One of my um, favorite things I think just shows the impact of roller derby worldwide is, uh, you know, kind of no matter where you are, if you're wearing a piece of roller derby uh, apparel. So if I'm wearing my uh, DC Roller Girls jacket and I've been traveling at the airport before, um, I've had countless people come up to me who says, oh, you know, my cousin plays over in California. Do you know them? This is the team that they play on. Um, ironically, sometimes we do because it is a small world and sometimes we don't, but it is 
just a connection with a stranger, which is so um, interesting and kind of a deeper connection because it's this more, uh, you know, subgroup that not everyone is familiar with. Um, but it's just really exciting. I would just add that, you know, the, the great thing about DCRG and any really any roller derby league is that if you're in a new place and you're trying to figure out a way to make friends or meet new people, roller derby is the way to go. Um, you know, it's a, you're doing so much together as a team, um, both on and off the track, that it's a great way to make fast friends. Uh, when I moved to the DC area two years ago, um, I knew three other people. Uh, and now I know way many, way more than th- just three, those three people. Um, and it's been a really great way to find um, a community of people that really care about each other. Um, Team DC is a, um, an LGBTQ sports organization. And I know that the DC Roller Girls aren't a uh, gay team per se, but do you want to talk a little bit about um, inclusivity at the Roller Girls and, you know, what that means to you and why you all are member teams of Team DC? Sure. So um, even though, as you said, uh, the DC Roller Girls are not explicitly um, a queer sports team, um, just the nature of the community, the nature of um, roller derby just generally being a very, um, excuse me, uh, accepting group of folks, um, you know, it tends to be a sport where uh, people feel that they can be themselves. Um, Roller derby generally um, is a very accepting um, and uh, inclusive sport. Um, even though we are the DC Roller Girls um, and we're members of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, um, we're not close to just folks who identify as women. Um, we do. At most many, I should say, many of our uh, skaters identify um, as women or um, or are women, I should say. Um, but uh, the Women's Flat Track Derby Association um, actually came out with a statement a few years ago, sort of a policy around um, a gender and gender inclusivity. Um, DC Roller Girls were actually one of the first teams to have um, a trans uh, woman skater on our team. And this was way before my time. I think this was in 2005, Ella, correct? 2006, something like that. Um, so this was way before my time. Um, But we are one of the first teams to have uh, an inclusive gender statement and gender policy um, in our code of conduct. Um, Specifically, the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, um, their statement notes that um, we, as DC Roller Girls and um, WIFTA is committed to inclusive and anti-discrimination practices in relation to all transgender women, intersex women, and gender expansive participants. And so that basically means if you feel like the DC Roller Girls are a place for you, then it's a place for you. Um, We skate regularly in the DC Pride Parade. Um, There are a lot of folks on the team who identify as members of the LGBTQ community. I do. My partner also actually skates for the DC Roller Girls. Um, And... You know, it's it's a sport that's very inclusive, very accepting. Um, and, you know, when we say that we're a community, it's not just for show. No, it's it's for real. 
Absolutely. And so when um, you're asking earlier about kind of what it's like when someone shows up for boot camp or how to join or for their first practice, you know, the only questions that we ever ask are what are what is your name and what are your pronouns? Um, and those are the only questions that you're ever going to get, whether you're a skater, a volunteer, um, a being whether it be an announcer for roller derby, a official, um, helping us produce and put on our abouts, our photographers, what have you. Um, so it really is uh, both an inclusive community as a sport, but we as the DC Roller Girls are trying to make sure um, that we are inclusive for our team as well. All right, that's fantastic. I'm happy to hear all of that. Um, you guys, I saw you skate at the DC Armory. Are all of your home bouts there or do you skate other places as well? So a good chunk of our home games are at the DC Armory um, because it is a great venue, as I'm sure you enjoyed yourself there, Laura. Um, it is a huge, beautiful space because it is uh, both large, has giant hardwood floors. So for uh, roller derby skaters, that is a dream come true. Um, for fans, it's a really exciting experience because we put on full production bouts. So there, um, all of our games are announced by our fantastic announcers. We have uh, vendors who are selling things. We have DC Roller Girls Apparel, merchandise, um, and the DC Armory also has some great concessions of beer um, as well. So it is like a large scale sporting event when you come to our games there. Um, that said, not all of our games are there. We do um, some games around the DMV at some local sports plexes. Um, and then once in a while, um, we're able to do um, smaller uh, events as well. Um, sometimes for fans and sometimes more closed. Uh, we also have a travel team. Um, so some of our games are in the DC area and some of them are actually across the country, depending on where um, our travel team might be playing in a given season. Terrific, and if people wanna buy tickets for your bets when things start up again, where would they go to find your schedule or to get tickets? Uh, they can go to our website, which is www.dcrollergirls.com. They can also find all of that information on our Facebook page. Uh, we will have uh, event pages for all of our in-person events uh, with ticket links uh, on those pages. Uh, in addition to a schedule of all of our events, both on the header of our Facebook page um, and on our website. So we're the DC Roller Girls on Facebook, we're at DC Roller Girls on Instagram, and at DC underscore Roller Girls on Twitter. Awesome. And tickets at the door as well? Yes, tickets at the door as well. We always offer tickets at the door as well as tickets in advance online. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I had a lot of fun chatting, and I hope that we can catch up again sometime soon. Absolutely. We hope to see you both around the track as well as other members of Team DC um, and look forward to hopefully skating together again soon once things open up. Thank you so much for having us. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Yep. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. 
you can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com. And our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC. 